When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. My favorite leadership line is, make it so. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a leadership development podcast told through the lens of Star Trek. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, everyone, to a special episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. We we even kind of had Kirk handle the intro there. Thanks, Captain. I had the recent opportunity to visit with an amazing person that has developed an impressive reputation as a leader and as someone who, well, really, someone who just gets stuff done. Gordon Treadgold is renowned for delivering projects well ahead of their deadlines. In fact, He delivered a project valued at $30 million in a sixth of the time it was estimated to take. A a sixth? Today, today he and I talk about our mutual love of Star Trek. And then Gordon shares some absolutely incredible lessons in leadership from his decades of experience, his books, and his role as a highly sought-after speaker. So join me as I share the conversation I had with Gordon. And honestly... I I recommend taking notes. He shares some incredible knowledge. Yeah, I was I was thinking about it, about innovation and just uh, how you know I'm I'm sixty, so I was nine ten, I think, when Star Trek started coming out, and that was the it was the first sci-fi for me that was truly innovative because. I don't think anybody watched uh, Book Rogers and thought, yeah, <laughs> at some point we'll be on those little things with the sparks coming out the back of it. Whereas with Star Trek, it, it, it did kind of have that feel of uh, future, te- future, possible future technology rather than just crazy, crazy ramblings of uh, the set designers. We tend to think that they had huge budgets, but actually they were just truly innovative working with working with what they had. I, I was also a big fan of Doctor Who. I don't know if you were throwing you of that, but they, um, for about seven or eight series, any planet they went to was just some quarry in the north of England. <laughs> when does every planet look like grey slay? <laughs> it's the only set we've got. Get over it. We'll put a few trees and throw a few things in, put a filter on it, but other than that, we're good to go. So uh, the, the reason I mentioned I was from the six, I was born in 60 
is because I was nine when it came out, and it and it was jaw dropping. I mean, you you look on it, we look back on it now, and it's it's not as dated as some things, but at the, at the time it was just it was out of, out of worldly. It was as I say, it wasn't Book Rogers where they just had tights and uh, some artificial thing with uh, sparks coming out of the back of it. Uh, flying along. Gordon's a little older than I am, and I really appreciate the different perspective he has on the effects and the the visual quality of the original series. I see. I remember watching the Next Generation as a kid and thinking, like, there was no way effects could ever look any better than that. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Well, Gordon, Gordon then talks about his experience working in IT. I think his story starts as a familiar one for many of us. But after this, after he shares his story, he challenges one of my base assumptions about leadership. I see this in IT that you know I spent I spent four years coding, a year in design, two years in test management, and then then got accelerated into project management because I was really good at what I did. A great resume to kick things off, right? Well, I dive in with one of my foundational beliefs about leadership. That is that leaders do not need to be experts in the work the people on their team are responsible for. But Gordon pushes back on that assumption. And, and honestly, I love where he takes it. So I, I, I actually have a different perspective, but it, it, it's rough. It, it's similar. We have to be smart enough, not necessarily knowledgeable. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I'm a huge fan of uh, Einstein and his quote of, if you can't explain it to an eight-year-old, you don't understand it. I'm not eight, explain it to me. Explain it to me in a way that, because I'm smart and I, and I get I don't have a degree in network, but walk me through it like you would a small child. And if you can't do that, you don't understand it. And this is this is one of the things that we have to do is get them to do that. And the number of times I was I, I did uh, I was in um, Fort Worth at um, the crew rostering system, and, and crew rostering is pretty complicated because you've you, you've got the different flights, different crews are going to different direct destinations. You can only work so many hours. So it's a it's a logistics, um, you know. It's like trying to keep nine plates spinning at the same time. And, and I said to the, the guy that was presenting it, I said, "Okay, could you explain to me the algorithm a little bit and how you do that?" And he just said to me, "You'd have to have a degree in mathematics to understand that." And I was like, "Wow." Yeah, that's right. Gordon graduated from the Manchester Institute of Science and Technology in 1984 with a degree in mathematics. I said, well, I have a degree in mathematics. Explain it to me. And he went, uh, I don't understand it. And a lot of times we just have to call people on their, on their stuff. Because uh, one of the things I always say, if you can't explain it to me, how are you going to explain it to your team who have to do it? If you can explain it to me in, a, in terms of I'm going to connect the positive to the negative and the negative to the positive and that'll create a circuit and electricity will flow, I can get, okay, yeah, I can see that. What happens if we get it wrong? Oh, well, this happens. Okay, yeah, well, we don't want to do that. And, and, and I, can, I, I can follow and I can add some value and ask questions that, uh, you know, bring my 
uh, intellect to a subject I'm not knowledgeable about because you told me what we're going to do. And, and a lot of time, it's like uh, running. There's only two ways to run faster. Take longer strides, take more steps per minute. That's it. There's, there, there, there is nothing. So a lot of time, you know, we can be speaking to people who are like super knowledgeable about athletics, nutrition, stretching. But, you know, well, are you taking longer strides or are you taking more strides per minute? Because that's, and this is, what, this is what we need in people that are leading. That inherent, um, that kind of level of smart to be able to look at and go, okay, ask how that's going to work. And, and that's, I mean, that's what I do now. I mean, when I was first at university, it was punch cards. So, you know, and there's no way I can keep up with the technology. But what I can do is I can keep up with the concepts of business, which is data gets captured, it gets manipulated and stored, and then it gets manipulated and represented to the to the person looking at it. Okay, so tell me how we're doing that. Tell me, tell me what you know. So as long as we understand the principles of things, it, it, it's pretty easy to do. But because a lot of these people uh, have done a PM, you know, come out of college, they've got a, you know, a good degree and they've got intelligence, but they don't have expertise or experience. After that, we brought the conversation back around to Star Trek and what leadership looks like there. I brought up how Picard asked for opinions from his crew in the recent Starfleet Leadership Academy episode on on Code of Honor. But Gordon here really dives into a leader's job. Spoiler alert, their job is not to come up with the best answer on their own. And that, well, maybe expectedly, then we kind of start off the classic Kirk versus Picard discussion. Deanna, what's the diplomatic option? Wolf, what's the kick-ass option? <laughs> Do we have any technical options? Could we just run away very, very... So he'll, he'll get that diversity of uh, diversity of option, and then he'll pick the best one. It, and It's not a leader's job to come up with the answer. It's a leader's job to select the best of the answers presented. And I think this is one of the big differences between Star Trek and Next Generation. Kirk was just like, right, this is what we're going to do. Or he'd ask Spock, whereas Picard is like, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm the captain. You're the security guy. You're the engineer. You tell me. Okay. Uh, you know, and then my my favorite leadership line is, make it so. Yeah, go do it. You, Yeah, you've come up with the answer. Go do it. Kirk didn't do that. You know, Kirk had that desire to be the, you know, it was a different period where, you know, we all want to be the hero, and he was the hero. Picard's like, yeah, I don't need to be the hero. I just need, I just need it done. And, and that's the leadership style that allows you to go up the ranks because if you have to do everything, there's a limit on, on what you can do with your hands. Whereas if you just want it done, you can delegate to the world and his brother. You can lead a team of a 1,000 people. And, and leverage their capability to, to deliver amazing results. Seems so simple, right? I mean, you have to be able to scale your leadership in order to promote and to take on more responsibility. You have to wonder if Kirk's ultimate failure as an admiral had something to do with that. In see, in the films, he took he took the first opportunity to play the hero's role again. He took over command from Decker in the motion picture, Spock in The Wrath of Khan. I mean, albeit with Spock's blessing. But still, Gordon's point here really resonates for me in terms of Kirk's career. Confidence is crucial. 
And I think everybody had confidence in Kirk to get it resolved. So they would follow him because of that. Whereas Picard, he had the confidence in them. I mean, guys, I believe in you. So the confidence, he was pushing that confidence. Hey, guys, you've got this. Let's go do it. Whereas with us, it was kind of like, okay, Kirk's got this. We'll, 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 we'll follow him. So, and I tend to think of that as, it's, you know, one's more leading from the front, the other's a little bit leading from behind. Yeah, knock yourself out, go do that, that'll be fine. Come back and let me know when it's done. Okay, you you go over there, get that done. When it's done, come back, let me know. And, and that's a much more, as I say, it's a much more expansive uh, and more important way to have impact. But one of the things about, uh, about Picard, and again, I being old enough to watch it uh, live, as it were. The first two or three episodes, I hated it. I thought, my God, Picard, what a wuss. This can't, this ain't, this ain't going to work. And then about three or four episodes in, he just, he just found his feet and was like, you know what? Yeah, I am in charge. And then he, he just, he had that kind of commanding, commanding personality. Whereas with, Kirk was a little bit different. He was all, you know, from the get-go, he had that cult of personality, whereas that Picard getting comfortable with other people being comfortable just took a little bit of time for him to get his feet under the table, as it were. But, you know, and I, but I think a much better leader uh, because of the style. And then we really get into the Kirk versus Picard discussion. I, I think as well, both, they were both products of their time. And I think as well, Kirk... Uh, I would say Picard was a more um, standard kind of leader, whereas Kirk was a little bit of a rebel. It was like, yeah, I know what they want to do, but you know what? We ain't doing that. I've got a plan. We're going this way. So he was like, he kind of had that maverick style. So he wasn't your classical, um, you know, submarine commander, you know, tell me what we're going to do and blah, blah, blah. You know, he was, he was pretty much, I'll roll the sleeves up. I'll get in. We'll do it a little bit differently and we'll break, we'll, we'll bend the rules. And, uh, I think that, that is, is part of what made him, uh, attractive as well. Gordon pivoted quickly into how Kirk's style applies to project management. I found this fascinating because the prototypical project manager tends, you know, to appear to be like a, just a total by the book kind of person. But Gordon's brilliant analysis shows how Kirk's more maverick style actually puts people in a place of problem solving. I mean, I don't know if you notice that on projects that fail, IBM research on projects that fail 75% of the time, people knew day one it was going to fail. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at some point. Whereas if you're following something like Kirk and you're thinking, well, I'm not sure this will work, but I know he's going to, you know, he's going to bend the rules. He's, you know, Kobe Ashimaru. If he, you know, he'll, re he'll reprogram some shit. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't care who he upsets. So you always feel you've got a chance, which then it takes you, one of the things that I talk about is that when you think it's going to fail and you see it failing, you go, told you, and you're in that I told you so mode. When you think it's going to succeed and it starts failing, you go, what the hell's going on? And you step forward into solution mode. And and I think with Kirk, because he has that, I'll challenge it, I'll, break, I'll bend the rules, I'll do whatever. When he goes forward, people are going forward with him in solution mode. So it is a, it is a slightly different... Um, 
Yeah, it's a different mentality to Picard, but it's also it's one that works. But I think there becomes a limit of of what you can do. You know, Picard Picard could go on and become the uh, the admiral of the of the uh, Starfleet because he has that. Okay, you know, it's just a bigger group now. Tell me what you want to do. Okay, now now uh, now go do it. But how do you grow and promote into that next level, though? How does a Picard go on to be admiral? Gordon wrote a great article about the five stages of leadership. The, the link is in the show notes. But in this next part of the conversation, he walks us through exactly what the stages are and how a leader evolves and grows over time. So I, I actually created this uh, graphic. Uh, basically, it's about uh, five stages of leadership. And a lot of people talk about five stages, but it, they, they do it in a little bit uh, different way to how I tend to think of it. I tend to think of stage one is when you're the informal leader. So you don't have the position, but it's like, you know what, I'm going to step up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support people. I'm going to contribute. I'll speak up if I don't agree. Then you've got the expert leader, you know, somebody like Scotty who knows so much about engineering. He's got to be in charge of engineering. But then you've got to go to that next level. So there's like the team leader, and then there's the expert leader, which is like level three. But then to go to that next level, you've got to get outside of your area of expertise. So you've now got to be working with head of engineering, head of weapons, head of diplomacy. And now you've got to be much more engaging and empowering because you want them to do the job. And then that next level is what I call the inspirational leader, where you're actually creating the culture of the organization. By the you know, you're setting the tone, but not necessarily uh, taking the action. So you're setting the direction, the tone for the organization. This is what we're going to be like. And, but at every single level in that, what got you to level three won't get you to level four. You've got, you've, you've got to pivot. And then to, from four or five, you've, you, you've got to figure out how to become in, you know, inspiring. And a lot of times it's about... You know, an expert leader, you know, Scotty can get the spanners out and can go down and say, stand back, I've got this. But at that next level, you, you've got to be, it's more hands off. So it, you've got to be much more people savvy. You, you've got to engage and inspire, empower them and have them believe in you in order to, to go there. So, yeah, you're right about the archetype. And I think we, we get to a level, we get comfortable with it, and people don't want to give it up. Fascinating, right? I mean, it makes total sense, and it really, really resonates for me. I think a lot of people place value in their professional identity based on the level they're at. An expert leader, for example, feels secure as that expert. And to give that up really requires great humility. I asked Gordon about this and how to feel successful as you progress through the stages. He says it's all about how you measure your success and your value. Really, really kind of like moving the goalposts. I'm really smart. And, and they, have to, they have to let go of being the hero and, and be comfortable in creating more heroes. And for, for alpha males and females, that's a tough gig. 
You know, you can't. It's like, you know, Kirk, we need to go down and fight the monster on the planet. I'll do it. No, no, we've got somebody else. No, no, I'm Kirk. That, that's why. That's why I do. It's who I am. You know, we no, we don't need we don't need you for this. We've got we've got somebody else. It, it's tough to give it up because we get we we tie our uh, sense of self worth into the role. And once that goes, then our self worth goes with it. But we just got to keep you know that evolving and moving on, moving on up. He went on to share some of his personal story on his journey through the stages, evolving from an expert in IT to an expert in leadership. I used to be an expert in IT. Now I work in IT. And I, I'm an expert in leadership who happens to work in IT. To be honest, to me. I, what people are doing today is so different for what I did when I was hands-on. They could be, they could be building spaceships for all I know. But what I'm good at is creating an environment in which they can be successful. And a lot of times, you know, we, you were talking about agile before. One of the things about agile is one of the reasons agile fails is because agile requires us to give up control to the people doing the work and say, "What do you think?" When do you think it will be done by? Um, and, uh, and we don't want to do that. You know, the, there's people who've made a career of saying it'll be done by Friday or there'll be heads will roll. And the louder I shout, the, the more likely. No, 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 no. Whoa, shots fired. It's a hot take on Agile. Well, keep your cool PMs out there because really, can, can you really disagree with him at all? I love this example. It really highlighted, at least for me, that the fear people have in giving up control, you know, it's, it's that fear of giving up power. But as you know, if you practice agile, it, it works. It works. If you just trust the experts and allow them to be honest with their timelines, Gordon explains further. When we empower people and we ask them, we get a lot. We get a lot more out of them. But again, that that it's that move towards servant leadership. Of you know, our role is to serve our teams, put them into a um, into a situation where they can be successful. That's our job. If I tell you you've got to get this done by Friday and you don't believe it can be done, then you're not going to accept accountability. Whereas when I say to you, when can this get done by Tuesday? You sure? Yeah. Now you own it. Now there's the degree of accountability. It's your goal. And if you don't achieve it, now we can have an interesting conversation. Whereas, you know, if you don't hit the goal that I set that you said was impossible, are you just going to tell me, but I told you that was impossible. Yeah, I know, but I, did you not see me bang the table? Did you did you not see my cheeks flush? Did you, did you not hear me say, heads will roll? Heads will roll. Now that's a motivating and effective phrase I've seen used before. <laughs> how about you? We revisited after this the topic of servant leadership and how it's about setting goals, providing tools, and then ultimately having your teams back. Now there is another part to, um, which is the, you know, the John F. Kennedy. I know you weren't thinking about this, but by the end of the decade, we're going to put a man on the moon. So what? <laughs> yeah, I've just I've just moved the goalposts, but we've got nine years, and I'm going to give you the tools to do it. So you, you've got that, you know, that part of the leadership where we're setting the vision, where we're pushing the envelope, and we're setting it up. 
but but it's about two percent because once that once that goal's set, it's now all about prep, planning, execution, confidence building, empowering the people, and then and then the best way to do that is say, hey, what do you need? Yeah, I mean that is a big that is a big part of leadership, showing the team that you've got their back. You know, the, the number of times when you know when when bosses say, so what went wrong here, and you just see the boss. That he, his direct report step back and go, does somebody else want to? <laughs> and it's like, you just go to and go, hey, you know what? We screwed up. You know, I signed off on it. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to hit somebody, you hit the next guy down. You don't step out of the way. Because if they start doing that with your team, that, that, they're never going to, they're never going to step up for you. Never, never in a million years. Uh, and my boss was, he was, a, he was a big one for, yeah, I know it's not you. I want to know who it was. Uh, and what, you, what you, we saw was that when he got into difficulty, nobody had his back beneath him because we knew he would throw us under the bus. It was like, hey, you know what? You're on your own. Whereas when we protected our team, yeah, if we were getting into trouble, then they would, they would, they would come and uh, step with us and do it. But it's a reciprocal agreement. And it starts with the leader. You know, we define the culture. And if the culture is throwing people under the bus, they'll leave us under the bus. And let's be real. When has throwing someone under the bus ever actually helped a problem? Yeah, that's not the culture I'd aspire to. What I would aspire to, though, is a diverse workforce that is welcoming and inclusive to everyone. That's when you can really get the most out of people. When they feel they're free and comfortable bringing their whole and true selves to work. And hey, you know a great model for what that looks like? Yep, that's right. Star Trek. Now, Star Trek is a product of its time. So each series, each iteration moves us closer to the image of that perfect environment. But even with that, Trek has forged paths very, very few others have. It was way ahead of its time for the for the for the diversity. You you you've got uh, Will the you know you've got the young kid in there. You've got the alien. You've got the Diana and the Doctor. It had a much um, much more um, diverse and inclusive feel to it as well. I mean, how many women were there in Star Trek? Was there was the three Janice Rand? There was a huru, and then there was, I think there was some woman who was occasionally part of Starfleet Command. We would, that's right, you had the short, the, the blonde in the short skirt, the nurse, and head of, uh, head of communication, and, and that was it. And then the next one, the doctor is a woman, head of security is a woman, head of diplomacy is a woman, and, and a lot more female characters. And then Janeway. And then he hit me with the big question so what's your favorite episode whoa there gordon i'm the one asking questions here right (laughs) now i had to think about this one for a while i mean really for me at least it depends on what day of the week or or even what time of day it is but but i said that at this moment right now when we were talking the balance of terror from tos is my favorite so what's gordon's favorite episode triples Yeah, I just like a problem that you know the born pregnant. It it's it just it's just it's just out of control. You, know, you turn your back on it for a minute, and boom! It's uh, it, it needs de- it needs dealing with. Honestly, though, who doesn't love or at least appreciate the triples episodes, right? Now, at this point, I just let Gordon talk. 
what his passion is, what he's working on, and how you can learn more about him. My my whole passion is about helping. Well, I wrote an article on it today, actually, the the leadership quadrant diagram, and you've got um, people who've got good people skills, bad people skills, good delivery skills, bad delivery uh, bad delivery skills, and we we seem to have a lot of people who've got great delivery skills, but they're just assholes. And we can't, you, you can't de-asshole somebody. You know, that's a character change. And a lot, of the, a lot of the training we have tries to do that. But the problem is the people that, are, that have those tendencies, either one, they don't admit it or they don't want to change. Um, what I'm, what I'm, my goal is to help people who have got some good management skills become great leaders. So people that are fundamentally nice help them deliver, understand what delivery is. And so that's what I'm all focused about, you know, just giving people tools. I've written 1,500 articles on leadership so people can go out there and they can find that stuff. Um, I, I do have a course I've been doing. I've got a, a couple of books I wrote. Uh, one's called Leadership It's a Marathon, Not a Sprint. Uh, and then the second one is called Fast. And Fast is about the four principles every business needs for success and and i was a turnaround expert uh, and the my my job was find out why things are failing and fix it and having done that i i realized there's a lot of commonality to what to what's failing and i i kind of characterize it as a lack of focus accountability simplicity and transparency and if you fix those four things focus is what Accountability is who, simplicity is how, and transparency is how far have we come and how far do we need to go. And if you fix those four things, then that will not only be failing, but help you deliver. So that's a book that I've written, and a lot of my uh, coaching and courses take that on. And if any of your listeners are interested, we'll give them a link to a free uh, PDF download of that management book of the year finalist in 2017. People ask me, were you not upset you didn't win it? No, because I beat Alex Ferguson, who was a manager of Manchester United. I got to the final five. He didn't. My team hates his team. It's a win. <laughs> Leeds won. Manchester United, nil. <laughs> and if people want to find me, I am the only Gordon Treadgold in the world. So just pop that into Google, you'll find the website, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, reach out and connect. I'm very um, approachable and I tend to respond to most people who uh, reach out and engage. The link to that is in the show notes, along with links to Gordon's website and his Twitter. I couldn't, I couldn't let him go without asking about the TEDx talk that he did. He'll tell you the story here, but, but he did it. He did it in French. Why? Well, listen to find out. I did a I did a TEDx talk in French because I, I I wanted the challenge, and um, yeah, I did this talk on uh, four principles for achieving big results: aim high, start small, celebrate, and just keep going. Because the majority of big successes are just an accumulation of small successes. You know, we we were talking about football. You know, to get to 35 points, you've got to score seven touchdowns. There isn't any 35-point touchdown. <laughs> you know, it, it is a grind. It, it is an accumulation. So, you know, if you can develop, if you can develop persistence, it is an absolute talent multiplier. I am not a great writer. 
but the fact that I've written 1,500 articles now gets me recognised who's as Sunday who's great at writing a lot. <laughs> no, but it's true. Yeah, I, I get recognised for it, but I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I was a great writer. I've just been prodigious. Command codes verified. There was a lot of great and informative stuff in there. GordonTreadGold.com will get you to his website. That link is also in the show notes. I want to take a minute to talk about the five stages of a leader he brought up, as well as the four things you need to pay attention to in order to effectively deliver. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. If you remember, Gordon talked about the five stages of leadership, informal leader, hands-on leader, expert leader, engaging and enabling leader, and influential leader. This is a journey leaders follow that in Star Trek terms takes you from like a crew member to a division lead to a department head to captain and then to an admiral. What I found interesting in his discussion on this is how important it is you change the parameters of your success as you progress. As a division lead, say, I don't know, like like Rom in DS9. Starting today, I'm one of the station's diagnostic and repair technicians. Junior grade, night shift. You measure success by how many repairs you finished in a day, where Scotty, as a department head, is likely measuring success based on how many division leads met their goals. As you progress to an engaging and enabling leader, and finally an influential leader, you start measuring your success based on how many leaders you're creating. So where do you land on these stages? Where would you like to land? Gordon says the tools that brought you to your current level won't be the tools that take you to the next level. So what are you doing to get those tools, to build those skills? Listen to the episode DS9, Return to Grace. In there, I talk about how Ducat dresses for the job he wants. Those same principles apply here. Another great insight Gordon shared was that there are people that are very nice, but can't deliver. And people that can deliver, but, well, they're, they're total jerks. Let's drop the ranks for a moment. I don't like you, and I don't think you're a particularly good first officer. He helps bring those two together so you can lead with kindness and compassion, but also deliver timely and high-quality work products. He says you need to address these four things to actually deliver. Focus, accountability, simplicity, and transparency. Focus is what. Accountability is who. Simplicity is how. And transparency is how far have we come and how far do we need to go. So examine your tasks through these lenses. What is being done? What is the task? Who is responsible for doing it? How are they doing it? And what is their progress? Focusing on these four aspects will bring these two extremes together. Now, notice that doing the thing isn't listed in the four. To be an effective leader that leads with kindness and also delivers means that you are not the one doing the thing. You're empowering. You're enabling the people to do the thing. That's not always easy to accept, but Gordon talked about this earlier in the episode, right? To scale your leadership, to lead at a higher level, you have to be able to engage, enable, and influence others 
to do the work that their expertise allows them to do. A huge thank you to Gordon Treadgold for joining us here. I learned so much from him, and I'm so grateful for his time. You can learn more about him at gordontreadgold.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at, yep, you guessed it, at Gordon Treadgold. And you can follow me too. I'm on Twitter at SFLA Podcast, and you can follow me across all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff T as in, yep, Treadgold, A-K-I-N. And join us on Facebook in the Starfleet Leadership Academy group. We'll be talking about all the takeaways from this discussion. I'm looking forward to seeing you all in our next episode as we continue to watch Star Trek and discuss the leadership lessons it offers us. So until then, ex astra scientia. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electric acid.